Welcome to Girls Who Heal, the podcast. This podcast was created specifically for all the incredible girlies on their healing journey. We're here to support and uplift you as you navigate your personal growth and self-discovery. This podcast is for the girls who are healing, not yet healed, the ones who show up every day with the commitment to be their best selves. Welcome back to Girls Who Heal podcast, the podcast dedicated to the girlies who are on their healing journeys. Again, we're here to empower those who are committed to personal growth and becoming the best versions of themselves. In today's episode, we have a special guest, Tania Jordan. Hi, Tania. Tania is a provisionally licensed counselor. She specializes in anxiety, depression, self-esteem, identity work, and peer relationships. She is passionate about working with Black and Brown communities, and as well as the LGBTQIA plus community. <laughs> Today, we will be discussing her journey to become a therapist, as well as client interactions. But before we jump into the topics, let's play our icebreaker. You ready? Yes. It's for a game of this or that. Okay. So for this one, we're going to do, we're going to ask you the questions, but if you want to bounce it back off of us just to get our answers, you can. Okay. Okay. Let's cool. Then. All right. Daily meditation or physical activity? Physical activity. For sure. Okay. I'll go back to sleep. <laughs> Me too. Perfect. So expressing yourself through journaling or expressing yourself through art? I like a combination of both. Um, I actually like have an art journal. So I would write down my feelings and then do a doodle right next to it or like do like a form of like scrapbooking. So I would like cut out like pictures and different things and like put it around like the words. So I love that. Do you do that like no matter your mood or is it like more so like when you're having hard emotions? No matter the mood. Okay, I like it. That's cool. (laughs) Um, Quality time or words of affirmation? Quality time. Me too, girl. Yes, yes. We share that. I'm words of affirmation. Okay. You're beautiful. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so long-term relationship or casual dating? Um, that's a tough one Um, I'm in a long term relationship but before that I was casually dating Mm -hmm. and both of them were fine (laughs) it just depends on where you are in life yeah yeah definitely Um, I think I think now that I'm like approaching 30 the field may look completely different from when I was casually dating so that but it's scarce I don't know. So Very scary. Don't want to answer it. I don't know nothing about what, what that's like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Um, playlist or podcast? Oh, I would say both again. I, like, okay. I am definitely a podcast girl. I love listening to people talk. Uh, it's very soothing for me. I love big conversations. I love small conversations. I love getting people's perspectives. But I also love, like, walking around like I'm in a movie montage to, like, my playlist. Like, like <laughs> so, like, I, you will lose me, like, if I'm listening to my favorite songs. I'm also a person that gets, like, hyper fixated on songs. Mm-hmm. So I will probably listen to the same songs for, like, six months. Mm. I'm and, not mad at it. Me neither. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> What's, like, your favorite, like, 
podcast kind of genre like? Uh, right now it's philosophy. Okay. Uh, I love like hearing people's like existential philosophical thoughts. Um, That's a mouthful. <laughs> Say that five times. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just love deep thinking. It's very, I don't know, I think I was just born a very existential person. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that I am also in a space in my therapy journey where I'm leaning into like ex- existential theory mm-hmm. um, in my way of therapy, that's just like all I'm into. I'm just like, Tell me your way of life, your meaning right. of life, your understanding, your <laughs> interpretation. And like everyone's view and like experience is so different right, from right. mine, obviously. And hearing it from super old people to young people, um, sober brains to people that have been tripping balls, like it's amazing. <laughs> and I, I mean, I think that's why I'm a therapist. I just love exploring people's minds. Yeah. So like philosophy is like my, my jam. Okay. <laughs> uh, so books or movies? movies okay. i want to be a book girl i have a whole <laughs> library at home like my bookshelf is to the ceiling i will keep buying books but i don't read them mm. all the time are you like an audiobook type of girl not a no nope. <laughs> <laughs> but i love books but i think it's because i've been in school forever yeah. i just graduated um grad school last may awesome. so congratulations I think, thank you yeah so i think my brain is in a space where I will pick up a good book. I know it's good. I mm-hmm. read the reviews, all the things. And then I can't help but to skim. But I'm like, I have a research background. So like when I have big text in front of me, I'm looking to pull out sources so I can type <laughs> a paper about it. So I can't even pick up a book and I'm like instantly like, who's the main character? All yeah, right. right. Uh, what's the ending? <laughs> like I can't like chill. Yeah. But I'm like, that's such the, that academic in me that I just need to calm down. I'm like instantly <laughs> like in writing paper mode. So I'm giving myself time to like readjust and like, cause I used to love reading like as a child, I was always just, I would go to the library and get like 10 books and challenge my sister. Like, I bet you I can read all these. Did you order a Pizza Hut thing where you used to get like, (laughs) oh yeah, yeah. All the rewards. We was going to Six Flags. I'm from the Chicago area. So like it was a thing where you would read a certain amount of books and you would get tickets to Six Flags. That's dope. Um, That was the Yeah. Yeah, So I want to get back to my childhood version of myself so bad when it comes to reading. But as of right now, I'm a take what you need kind of person. (laughs) Okay. So if I'm like, oh, I have this book about like relationships I'm, or I'm specifically looking for a thing or somebody told me there's a message in this book and I want you to read it. I'm looking for that message. Right. Mm-hmm. I'll write it down. And that was on page 85 and I didn't get to page 200. <laughs> like, I just take what no I need judgment. right now. No right. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> when I can. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> um, introvert partner or extrovert partner? Um... I would say a mixture. <laughs> I'm a mixture I, person. This game needs to be this, that, or <laughs> uh, I'm an introvert, so it is nice to have someone that's, like, not a mirror right. of me. Yeah, because right. we'll just be in the house under a rock and, like, never <laughs> have a social life. Right. Um, so, like, my partner is, like, what do you call it? Yeah. So that helps. Like yeah. we can be in the house, not do nothing, or we can be bouncing around, going to events, 
visiting family, doing all the things, but I am going to be like, I'm ready to go home for at least like five days. That yeah. part. Mm. And that's fine. <laughs> so it's like a nice balance, you know, because an uh, extrovert, I, will, I won't I will be able to do it. Right. Like, I, I I'm a it. naturally sleepy person. I'm mm-hmm. naturally like, <laughs> do I can naps? go home. I nap like <laughs> mandatorily. Like, it's <laughs> like rest is resistance, you know, mm-hmm. uh, if you haven't read that book get into it i am a part of the nap ministry <laughs> okay um, i like that yes i know you do okay <laughs> she'd be mad at me because i know i have to take my nap she can she can just run 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 no i, I need be, a nap i don't be mad i just she don't but you don't understand it like you it's so hard for you to take a nap and i don't get that about you i want to just stuff be happening Look, i don't even have to have a busy day like if I know, like, oh, I have to like see two clients today, and my day has been empty. I'm still taking that. I like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just to make sure I'm fully charged. I'm going to have to start to do naps. those last activities of the day. You mm-hmm. know? <laughs> listen to listen to this like right here. Okay, she can know you. Okay, all right. Got it. That completes our game of this or that. Yes. So we're going to move into the questions now. Right. So, what led you to pursuing a career in therapy? Hmm. I feel like I had two journeys of like leaning into therapy. Mm -hmm. So when I was getting my bachelor's, I was studying public health and I knew I had a passion for wellness, everything when it came to like just your total well-being. Um, And then I had a professor that um, she was my counseling professor we just had one one semester class of just counseling. Mm-hmm. Um, so we learned about sex therapy, relationship therapy, individual therapy, all, all of those things. And then I had her again for, it was just sex. Like it was just only sex class, um, which was great um, because my uh, focus um, as a public health major was human sexuality. So I kind of wanted to be like a health teacher, something like educating people on like, their bodies, mm-hmm. things like that. But then that really made me want to go into like, okay, I want to be a sex ed teacher. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, okay, maybe, um, cause my professor was, uh, a sex counselor, okay. but she was licensed in another country. Mm-hmm. So when she got to the U S she couldn't practice anymore. So mm-hmm. she was in higher ed. So I'm like, wow, she really inspired me. I got to chat, chat with her a little bit. And I'm like, okay, this is something I could possibly do with my public health degree. I had no idea what I was going to do with my public health degree, like, at all. Like, I had no no, no idea what jobs I could get. Mm-hmm. I was taking counseling courses, but they really didn't say, like, oh, you need to go to school for counseling <laughs> and then get licensed. And it was never, like, the steps. It was just, yeah. like, this is your major and you have to take counseling courses <laughs> so you can be a counselor when you graduate. That's how I felt. So I was literally in... Uh, undergrad blind (laughs) so yeah I was like okay I know I want to do something when it comes to helping people navigate life sexuality and I'm gonna go with that Um, but then two years postgraduate I was a preschool teacher um, and I was also working in a call center at night working like Mm -hmm. crazy (laughs) and I was really unhappy and I wanted to do something else, but I kind of completely forgot about like my passion for like counseling. Cause I was just really discouraged. I had no idea how to get a job in public health. 
everything required like 15 years of experience mm, right. and I'm like well I'm literally only like 23 and I've been in school all my life where is this experience <laughs> supposed to come from so that was really discouraging but um I've always happened to like attract people that want to tell me like their life stories mm-hmm. and things and like um working at that call center all <laughs> my friends that I met there like they would gravitate towards me for like advice or just a listening ear, someone to hold space. And they would always say, you should be a therapist. It's a confirmation. Right. I hear that all the time. And I'm just like, hmm. And I started doing some research. And I'm like, well, that actually, like, feels like something that would come natural to me. Because I've always been, like, just a natural, active listener. Mm-hmm. So I'm always, I've always been kind of reserved and quiet. Mm-hmm. But I can hold space for people. Um so I decided to pursue my master's in counseling. And when I did that, it felt like I was at home. Like oh, I, was, I didn't awesome. feel as lost as I was in undergrad. I'm like, this is, it's bringing things full circle. Right. Like I remembered how I felt when I was taking that first counseling class in undergrad. And it just felt like I was in the right space. That's so, awesome. Yeah. So what kind of clients do you serve? Um, currently, I serve clients of, all backgrounds, but um, majority are queer people mm-hmm. of color. Okay. Um, and as I am getting more further into um, closer to licensure, because um, when I was an intern, I'm kind, I'm currently still practicing at my internship, mm-hmm. site, which is such a awesome privilege to have. Yeah. Um, so when I was an intern, they just gave you everybody, yeah. <laughs> and um, which was great. I was like. Um, initially started off, I'm like, I don't want to work with men. I don't want to work with this person. Or I don't want to work, you know, I was like, it just made me, I was just very intimidated. I didn't feel like I could get through to men. It was just my own process, like bias. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. But it was like my own little fear. So they were like, no, you're going to do, like, you're going to work with everyone. Yeah. Um, so that really helped me figure out, like, who I want to tailor my services for. Um, but I initially went into this field wanting to be a tool and a resource for people of color and queer people of color. Mm-hmm. And also now I, I see myself working with people in relationships that are not heteronormative. So ethical, non-monogamous relationships. Mm-hmm. So that's where I'm leaning into, which is great because I am going on year two of my provisional license okay. so i'm almost done <laughs> so yes that's I'm, awesome yeah that's where i'm at right and now can i say okay so the reason i had to have her on here is because i met her in the at an event and she said that like she was trying she was doing her goal was to do like the counseling for the polyamorous community and queer community yeah. i said oh that's cool because i've never heard of that yeah and i was like you know so often like those communities get like forgotten especially mm-hmm. like polyamory um just because like people don't necessarily agree with it and so it's hard for people to remove that bias yeah in order to provide services for that community and so and even the queer community yeah and so i love that and thank you for your service <laughs> of course of course and you're right it's definitely um a very i would say 
a hidden community. Mm -hmm. um, people don't realize that there are other relationships dynamics that work. Mm -hmm. And sometimes even if they are having issues, that doesn't mean they don't work for those set people. Right. Yeah. And with there not being a lot of counselors that work with non-monogamous couples, I thought that was like an amazing opportunity for me to be a resource to people who don't have the resources, right. you know, like you, they would have no other choice to find a couple's counselor and then have to explain their lifestyle. And then for that counselor to kind of like bend their mind to like, all right, we can kind of work with this, you know, mm -hmm. so. Is that. there like, what led you to want to explore like that feel like, did you have like experience in it or do you have like friends in the community that kind of like, Right. Made you think about that? Because, like, I feel like so many times, like, we don't talk about it mm -hmm. or, like, like you said, it's hidden. Mm -hmm. So, like, what led you to that? Well, I am a queer person. Mm -hmm. So, being queer in the community, I've been around so many people who have so many different types of relationships. Mm -hmm. So, I have so many close friends that are non-monogamous. So mm -hmm. many close friends that identify as polyamorous or non-monogamous or mm -hmm. even swingers. And I think just having access to people that I care about and know personally, let me see that, okay, this is like, it, it's not something that's really, I would say it's not hidden from the world, but since it's not as common, it feels like it is right. because these are people that you're probably just sitting right next to. But if you don't ask them, like, what's your relationship dynamic? Like, Oh, I'm open. <laughs> yeah. You know, but people really don't, you know, know or have the language to even inquire about it unless you're a part of that lifestyle right. too. Yeah. And if you're curious about dating this person and you're like, oh, I know they have a partner, but I wonder if they're, you know, like it may not cost your mind to ask. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, okay. Can you kind of explain like the ethical part? Because you keep saying it. Mm -hmm. Ethical non-monogamy. Because yeah. I think that's important. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Can you explain that? Yeah. So ethical non-monogamy is basically ethically practicing not being monogamous to your partner. Meaning there are intentional boundaries and communication put in place for you to have a healthy relationship dynamic with all your partners. Mm -hmm. So that's where the ethical part comes from. Mm -hmm. So um, I think there's people that could say like, oh, I'm a polyamorous or I'm a swinger or I'm this. And they just chose that way because they just want to have more than one partner and mm. they just want their partner to be along with it. But it's unethical. It can be unethical oh. when it's just like, this is my selfish need and either you love me and you can get with it or you can get out. Right. Mm -hmm. So the ethical part is like, this is a group effort mm -hmm. for people that care about each other to protect each other while they're trying to maintain a relationship mm -hmm. together. Okay. This, I'm throwing this in here. This <laughs> isn't even on here. So say there is a partnership that's already established mm -hmm. and they want to include someone else into their relationship, but that other person might only like one person in the partnership, but they, the partnership, like they try to convince that person that would be joining to be with both people could that fall under like unethical or like is it more so just like something that needs to be a communication thing i would say it can teeter between both because 
when you have to convince somebody to do something that they don't want to do, mm-hmm. that does not like that can teeter onto the unethical part because the peer pressure could change the person's mind. Yeah. Now, if there is a situation where you have a partner is like, I think I would like to see other people. I'm truly like, I love our relationship and I love you, but I do have a desire to see other people and just experience other experiences. And the person is on the fence about it. There's no timeline. You can have multiple conversations about it. They can do their research, but there's no pressure of other person like, wait, like what she said. Yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> that is, that's the difference of like making sure that there aren't like external pressures involved in this conversation and there isn't something like pre already set up like I'm gonna talk to my partner and see what see what they say. Uh-huh. Um, I'll hit you up in like two weeks. Like <laughs> mm-hmm. that's where like the agenda is kind of like. All right, is this self serving? Like, do you think this is gonna help your relationship, or is this more sl- more so so you can like have like multiple pleasure pleasurable experiences while your partner is literally doing homework and trying to like figure out like is this something I want do I just want to make my partner happy do I want to make sure they're not going to leave me mm-hmm. um so just making sure you're assessing like what kind of pressure is applied in these conversations and your personal intentions of what are you going to gain what's the relationship going to gain mm-hmm. and I think that's how you can like weigh it back on the side of ethical okay mm-hmm. I like this <laughs> Mm. Oh, I would say I have a little question. Like, so what is one of the most common misconceptions you hear about like poly relationships? That everybody just out there just oh everybody. Just <laughs> <laughs> like they go out and meet somebody every day, or you know, they're just the most wildest, freest person. They're always falling in love with everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, they're always breaking other people's hearts or they're messy. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like the top one. I'll put that at the top, that they're messy. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I've come across. Yeah. Yeah. I think something like that I've heard about it is that like people just are doing it for sex reasons. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think like that's a misconception because I think a, a big part of it is the ethical part mm-hmm. and just having like that respect for your different partners. Yeah. And so I'm not, I, I, girl, I just learned about this and I just, I, I really learned from a Facebook group and that's how I know about it. But I've just been doing research because like I am opening my mind to different things mm-hmm. just because I feel like a lot of times the things that we don't know about, we judge them before we even have that, you know, background knowledge. Yes. And so, yeah. What have you heard? <laughs> What she said. Okay, everybody <laughs> on there, everybody. Like, for me, it gets overwhelming and not even open to learning more. Yeah. Because, like, I, I don't want to be all on everybody. I ain't for everybody. But, you know, I'm open to being educated on it before I actually make a decision. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so how has the career choice of therapy helped with your own healing? Hmm. I think it kind of put me in a space open for healing. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I initially, I think for years, my idea of therapy and seeking just support on mental health in general has always been like, I'm looking for someone to hold space for me. And I never felt like certain wounds were like able to be healed. Mm -hmm. So like I just navigated therapy as a place like, listen to me and I'm not expecting you to fix me 
I just mm-hmm. don't have anybody to talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think now that I'm like older and in a different chapter in my life, in a different chapter in like my therapy experience, I'm understanding what healing could look like in a diff- like in different perspectives. So, because um, I also feel like recently, like where social media is to mm-hmm. people throw around the word healing mm-hmm. and it becomes like glamor- glamorized, like yeah. healing right. is me going True. to a retreat and I'm getting <laughs> massages and things like that. It ain't that. Um, it, but as a therapist, I've witnessed like I've been able to reframe the word healing into, OK, maybe you're trying to heal from betrayal and healing from betrayal looks like building trust. Mm -hmm. It looks like letting down walls. Mm -hmm. It looks like getting a different perspective. And that is now healing. Mm -hmm. It's not completely healing the actual wound that somebody like inflicted on you from betraying you, but you are now healing the mental space that you were in by allowing yourself to let certain guards down and rebuilding trust and things like that. So definitely being in the therapist seat, I was able to like, oh, this is what I'm doing. And I, <laughs> I kind of understand what healing looks like, but it doesn't have to look like a certain thing. So I kind of like rejected the, the term healing for a while because I just felt like it was being like over glamorized. Right, right. And like as a very existential person, like I mentioned before, I'm kind of like, uh, it, it is what it is kind of person like mm-hmm. and I was hurt how can I move forward kind of thing like you were you you had this experience how can we reframe that experience and it's kind of cut and dry yeah mm-hmm. okay well cool do you have family and friends that try to seek advice or trauma dump based on your profession yeah <laughs> <laughs> definitely uh, I come from a very close-knit family so like Everybody know everybody business. So how do you establish those boundaries? I'm sorry. I think it was more so establishing boundaries with myself. Okay. Um, Because I am okay with people coming to me. Mm -hmm. But I'm the oldest sibling. Like, I am always, I've always been like, I'm a hold space. I'm going to try to fix it. I was the sibling taking care of my siblings. Mm -hmm. I was there sitting like, basically like the second mom essentially like, and I'm helping my mom with everything. My mom talking to me, like I'm grown when I was a teenager. So I was always in the tea. Like, so it was just like, I think it's also how my family like raised me and also culturally, like black folks just in general, like that's just how we embrace each other. Like, tell me what's going on. I'll tell you what's going on. And so I had to like identify that like for myself, like, okay, I don't have to offer space all the time to connect with people that I love in that way. It can just be like when I know that I've hit capacity, I've already seen like six clients tonight and I'm trying to call my mom just to say what's up. And now like she's telling me like some crazy (laughs) shit. I'm like, I just tell her like, I just got off work. Uh, what are you eating for dinner? <laughs> let's let's talk about this tomorrow. Um, and that has like been hard because yeah. like I have always seen my mom as like my best friend, yeah. and we just be talking all the time. Yeah. So like having to like reframe like how I talk to my mom, or even like just 
some of my friends, like, mm -hmm. just trying to be mindful of how I open myself right. up because, like, I've always felt like I was just a naturally, like, open person where people just feel attracted to, like, oh, I feel safe. Let me talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, you know, just trying to, like, figure out how can I, like, feel comfortable. Like, okay, let's stop right here. Mm -hmm. How about we talk about that, like, I, like, practicing and reframing conversations as something was something I literally had to sit and practice, yeah. like, to myself. Like, you that shirt that say, not today, <laughs> uh -uh. Yes. I ain't gonna be able to do it. So, like, I don't want to, like, make people feel like, oh, you're a therapist, you don't want to hear about this at all. I'm like, no, like, some days I only have two clients, and some days I, you know, sometimes I have 10. Yeah. But, like, so I'm, I have different capacities, different right. days, but, like, I... So, like, they will never know that. So, right. I have to feel comfortable telling people, like, this was a heavy day. Let's pause. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, Do people yeah. get offended by that when you're like, I can't take it in today? Like, or, or are they understanding? No. It's been <laughs> understanding. I have had one experience where it wasn't taken well. Mm -hmm. But I just felt like it was kind of a them thing where mm -hmm. they just needed somebody to hold space. And I didn't have it for them. And mm -hmm. so, it was just... Not received, but it was understood after I'm like, this doesn't mean that you can't talk to me tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Right. You know? like, I love okay. that. Right. Yeah. I'm learning a lot. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Taking a lot of mental notes. Okay. So, like, with your queer clients, do you think that most of them are just seeking, like, self-love and acceptance or just trying to overcome societal judgment? Mm, not really. Okay. I think um, my since I majority see queer folks, it's kind of just like everything you can think of. Mm -hmm. um, I think when it comes to like societal things, it's more so like figuring out how to navigate like rejecting societal expectations and just figuring out like how can I move in my skin unapologetically mm -hmm. without like the pressure of like trying to fit in these boxes that right. was like kind of assigned to me at birth like people like they like most of my queer folks and me included um have established internally like this is who I want to be this is my identity I am fine uh -huh. but then when you have someone that is visibly uncomfortable with your way of life it's kind of like do I want to like conform to make this person comfortable or do I want to not give a fuck? Yeah. And that like, you can not give a fuck, but it also still feels isolating right. sometimes. Cause it's like, damn, like I literally have to walk around every day. Like with this, like, mm -hmm. I don't give a fuck like mentality. <laughs> and it can just, it can feel like I kind of want to figure out how can I like, be accepted in society but also fuck it you know yeah. so it's kind of, it can be a battle with certain people that are i would say newer on their queer experience or maybe just came out mm -hmm. and just try to figure out how they fit in our world but i would say with more of my like older queer folks and people who have been out since childhood maybe they're like that's like the last thing on their mind because like they're uh, attached to so many other identities. Mm -hmm. Like they're black. Mm -hmm. Some people are also racist. And yeah. then like you have so many other things. Um, so yeah, it's just really just trying to figure out how are we going to get around in this world and be a part of capitalism, be a part of navigating racism, 
homophobia, all the things on your back and still like try to adult and get up and take a shower. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I love that. Well, can you define like polyamorous and with the polyamorous couples you counsel, do they usually bring in their partners? And if so, how many partners do you allow in a session at a time? So currently I only see people who identify as polyamorous and non-monogamous by themselves. Okay. So they tell me, like, I walk them through a lot of the conflict they're having while managing their relationship mm-hmm. dynamic, and we're going from there. But I will soon be seeing couples together, but I'm not at that space okay. in my certification process just yet. No but um, I've learned a lot by being able to just work with one person that's, like, managing different relationship dynamics um, I would define polyamory as someone who is um, open to emotional and sexual experiences with more than one partner and having committed relationships with more than one partner. Um, and that is a term that's, I would say, underneath like non-monogamy. Mm-hmm. So there's more ways you can be non-monogamous. Um, polyamorous is more so, um, I would say like it leans more so into the committed realm, Mm -hmm. but you can also, I would say you can be in an open relationship and you can be in an open marriage. Mm -hmm. So those people are more so open to more sexual relationships outside of their relationships, but less emotional connection. Mm-hmm. So they don't actively build relationships with yeah. the people that they're seeing. It's more so sex. Mm-hmm. Then you have the people that are more so in the polyamorous realm that are open to emotional connections mm-hmm. and sexual connections. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely like a big spectrum of yeah. what it can look like. <laughs> educated me. Yeah. So there's more words. Um, oh, I even brought you guys wanted to show you. Um, this is a book that really helped me um, understand what polyamory is, but also can help you when you're monogamous as well. It really um, highlights attachment, trauma, and overall consensual non-monogamy. I'm not at like a sponsor of this book, nothing like that, but it's polysecure. This was uh, a real, uh, I still to this day, like all my poly clients, I'm like, all right, you need to get this book. And then in sessions, I'm like, all right, um, your homework is page 110. They come back, read it. So yeah. like, this is like a textbook, textbook for folks that are working through relationship non-monogamous things with mm-hmm. me. Um, but I, I highlighted this page specifically, but, um, it's a chart that literally shows us like all the types of non-monogamy that you, um, that people can experience. So we have like monogamish. Those are people who literally <laughs> are strictly monogamous, but like, all right, if you go out tonight, somebody like you or whatever, like it's okay. Oh, that wow. you, get, you get their number or y'all can hook up. And I feel okay, you're going to come home tonight. And it's kind of like a past situation. Um, But it's like, there's an understanding. I feel secure that you want to have a good time and you're out in wherever and you're going to do things safely. And that's just what you agree upon. Then you have people who are swinging. That means they both partners regularly meet people for sexual intentions, Mm -hmm. but not emotional intentions. Mm -hmm. 
And then you have, when we get in the polyamory realm, we have like hierarchy, hierarchical um, polyamory, and then we have a non-hierarchical, meaning if you have a hierarchical polyamorous uh, dynamic, it's more so like you already have a partner established, you've been together for years, but you are open to bringing someone in, but they don't have priority over the person that you've been with already. So they can't live with you. They don't have like, um, they can't come over your house. They can't call you after eight. Like there's more boundaries in place, but I'm sorry to stop you. I got a question (laughs) because in my poly Facebook group that I, that I watch, they say like these hierarchical like couples, they say it's not ethical. Mm -hmm. Do you believe that? Or do you think that they can be ethical as long as like the communication is there? I feel like it can be ethical. It definitely can. But I think it takes work to get there. It is not easy by any means. Um, I would say like just from things that I've seen from all the groups and studying it's I've seen the most like I would say secure polyamorous relationships that work in that way that is um, hierarchical is with older people that's been in it for a while like everyone has been non-monogamous for years and they have understanding they have established great boundaries and it has been worked on Mm -hmm. Um, so I wouldn't like I wouldn't say I wouldn't recommend it, but I would say like if someone is interested in going into that and dating a couple that's already established, like go into it, I would say with your expectations for them and like making sure that there are a lot of healthy (laughs) conversations being had, multiple conversations being had, Mm -hmm. be open to revisiting boundaries and rules that are in place because sometimes people can agree upon something Mm -hmm. and then like feel too nervous to like say, okay, I don't like this. Uh And then Mm -hmm. they feel stuck in the situation, like having that door open constantly and constantly doing like aftercare and just revisiting conversations as much as you need to. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't feel like someone's just being like strung along or like being mistreated. Right. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Very important. Get the book. book. Okay. It's a lot of stuff. Let's see. Um, Nine. Oh, okay. So like with the people that you see, like, do you, what's like the most common issues that you see, especially when they're like in the, um, what is it? Hold on, ethical non-monogamous relationships. <laughs> like, if you feel comfortable sharing, I would say communication. Yeah, communication is work and is maintenance, and I think sometimes um, it can be tough to like, especially in like a. a the hierarchical relationships where the other person doesn't feel as much as a priority to maintain mm-hmm. the relationship. So like the communicate, the communication piece can be there, but then the other person doesn't get as much work to maintain them as your primary partner. Mm-hmm. And that can like cause a lot of like tension because mm-hmm. then the third person feels neglected. And mm-hmm. that is, sad and yeah. that can be hurtful and then you have a person that's getting their heart broken or being neglected and not getting their needs met when really when you are agreeing to be in a 
a relationship with this person, right. even though they're the third person in the picture, it's still a relationship. Right. Meaning their feelings are still invested in the dynamic. So that that can happen often. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's another reason why people say like the hierarchical um, dynamic doesn't work or it's the most like non-ethical because like that communication piece can feel like it's more so assigned to the primary par- partner over the secondary partner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Do you ever get like uh, individuals who go from one to the next and be like, nah, it ain't for me. And they go like back and forth between poly, monogamy. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Is that common? It's very common. Like, you know what? I tried it. I ain't like it. I'm going to go back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's very common. Um, and I think that's the great part of just kind of rejecting, like, being on the side of rejecting heteronormativity mm-hmm. because it's just like, I can have any type of relationship dynamic I want as long as I feel safe and comfortable and yeah. people are consenting to it. Right. Um, being f- Feeling like you're restricted to, like, all right, if I choose to be monogamous today, I can never try this again. Like, who's giving you that rule? It's your life. Like, as long as you're able to figure out how to do it in a way that, like, people can still trust you and you can still trust yourself and, like, it just still feels good, Mm -hmm. then why not, you know? Hmm. Okay. I like this. This is good. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Do you get, like, I know you said you only counsel, like, one person at a time, but do you get, like, a lot of married people who are entering into a different lifestyle? And, like, how are they navigating that? Like, is it more so just, like, one partner trying to convince the other partner to join? Or, like, how does that work? Mm. (laughs) I don't keep it general. Okay. (laughs) Um, I have witnessed, like, multiple couples, like, thinking about changing their relationship dynamic. And I heavily encourage all couples to figure out how this experience can become your own Mm -hmm. so as one partner partner number one what are you going to gain from this experience why do you want this why wouldn't you want this because i'm like even people who are on the side of like i want to do it think about you know a reason why you possibly couldn't want it or why it Mm -hmm. wouldn't work you know because you want to have like more uh, more perspective on like what you're getting into so figuring out how can you both make this experience your own if one person can't figure out how this can be solely my own experience like i know i can like have a pleasurable mo- moment with somebody that i'm really crushing on but i never thought about it like they can't even imagine that then i would say go back to the drawing board yeah because when it becomes like a one-sided experience and your partner is doing something only because you want it, then that leaves a lot of room for resentment. Mm -hmm. That leaves a lot of room for just miscommunication because that pushes your partner into a space of Mm people-pleasing. And Mm -hmm. it's just like, you can really lose what, like the... I would say the trust, the emotional trust you have for each other, because when you are able to emotionally trust your partner, you are able to know that that no means no and that yes means yes. But when they're kind of pushed in the space of people pleasing, it's like 
I don't even know if your yes means yes because like you <laughs> co- you kind of conformed and like changed mm-hmm. right, right. how you felt a while back and now you're both in the space of like uh, I don't know if I'm making yeah, you uncomfortable or not. <laughs> I don't know if you're making decisions based off of what your true desires are. So mm-hmm. like being able to make your decisions on changing relationship dynamics should be like a collaborative experience, yeah. mm-hmm. but also being sure you can all prioritize your own pleasure and your own experience too. Yeah. Okay, look at it. <laughs> so communication, mm-hmm. you know, making sure you're trusting um, is key. Yes. It's and really going to yield a successful. Okay, so last thing we wanted to ask you, like for someone who is seeking a different uh or non-traditional relationship, like besides communication, what other things are important to consider? I would say checking in with yourself constantly, Mm -hmm. you know, um, because you can change, you can change. Yeah. And being able to allow that openness in your relationship of like, it is okay if you change your mind tomorrow and you say yes today. Mm-hmm. How is that going to be received? Right. If I say I was cool when you went on a date yesterday, but then today I'm feeling jealousy. I'm, I'm feeling like I, I feel neglected. All those things. Do I have a safe space to tell you that? Right. Yeah. So it's like, is it okay to go back on things? Like, how how are you setting up the safe space to discuss difficult conversations? I know I'm going back to communication. <laughs> that's what it it's does. It does go back to that. Um, I also, like, one thing that's coming to mind, I think about attachment styles a lot. Uh-huh. Even though, like, attachment styles isn't always, like, the end-all, be-all of, like, relationship, understanding relationships but I find it very helpful because like if you have like a anxious attachment style and you feel very anxious when your partner does not show you those small tidbits that you need to like get reassurance that they're mm-hmm. still there. Mm-hmm. Like that is something to keep like your partner should know and you should know so you can understand how to find the language and communicate like this is why I'm feeling on edge today after Mm -hmm. that date or after I noticed this or what have you. Um, Then you have like a a person who has a secure attachment style that may not need so much. Mm -hmm. So if you have two different attachment styles and you have somebody that's totally secure, I know we're in love. I know we're married and this and this and that. That's all I need. Go have fun. Then you have the the anxious attachment person. Like I actually need you to like give me a hug every day. <laughs> yeah, and like I actually need to know that like like I need extra things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. then that needs to be communicated so you know like when this relationship change dynamic changes and that person's texting someone good night and you know you need to know like uh, I actually wanted to be the last person you texted today mm-hmm. like then that is important to right. like understand for both people. So, I mean, I think that was very like simply explained, but <laughs> I, yeah. thought, I thought it was great. <laughs> I, I, I did too. I did too. All right. So now it's time for our advice segment. Um, we'll have Tamir help us out this week. Um, we'll answer a listener's question that ties into our healing journey. 
onto the healing journey. If you're looking for advice, email us at girlswhohealpodcast at gmail.com. And we might feature a question on an upcoming episode. On an upcoming episode. <laughs> All right, you got it. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> All righty. I can read the first one. So, dear girls who heal, lately I've been struggling with self-doubt and negative self-talk. It feels like I'm my own worst critic, constantly berating myself for past mistakes and doubting my abilities. I want to break free from this cycle. How can I shift my mindset and replace negative thoughts with positive ones. Are there any specific techniques or exercises that have helped you on your own healing journeys? Thanks in advance for your advice. With gratitude, Mimi. Mm-hmm. We'll have you go first. <laughs> <laughs> mm. One thing I, I like to think about with negative self talk is like thinking about where the negative words came from. Mm-hmm. Like, who were the people telling you negative things when you were younger? Mm-hmm. And if you can't think of anybody, most of the times probably yourself mm-hmm. telling you those things. And think about who are the people that's been lifting you up since you were young. Who are who are the positive voices, you know, that come to your mind. And I like to think about training your brain, right. like mm-hmm. training your mind to replace that negative voice with those positive voices. Mm-hmm. I like to replace my negative voice with my mom's voice. Oh, like, that's so sweet. <laughs> it's, it's funny because, like, I ran track um, in high school and things like that, and I used to hear my mom's voice out of the whole crowd. I'll be in a field house or <laughs> on a track outside, and the only voice I could hear is my mom's yeah. on, the, on the stands. It's crazy. Um but, like, being able to pinpoint a voice that was rooting me on mm-hmm. really, like, helped me, like, kind of stand up to that, like, negative voice mm-hmm. that was that's just chilling out and just, like, having a good time kicking up, kicking around in my head. And I also like to challenge that voice when I feel like, oh, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. You're not capable of that. Question that voice. Mm-hmm. Why not? Mm-hmm. Ooh, who said I couldn't do it? You? Who are I'm you? Like, kind of thing. Like, have a <laughs> more... Like <laughs> Look, that is my favorite thing to do when I'm with clients is challenging yourself to talk to yourself more. Yeah. Because the only person that's telling you you can't do it is you. Right. So have more conversations with that yeah. person. Because if you can sit up there and listen to the conversation with your with yourself telling you negative things, right. you can have a conversation with yourself telling yourself positive things, right. questioning yourself, like going to toe-to-toe like you know there's tab- taboo to hear about you talking to yourself but no nah, talk to yourself yeah. because it's no it like it just only puts you in a space of just stagnation it can bring you you bringing yourself down when you just let that negative voice sit there and bully you and it's literally you bullying mm. you so if you can talk to anybody else question anybody else on the outside question yourself you hear that voice keep going and keep going. Why not? Mm-hmm. Who why who said I couldn't do this? Right. But what if I did? Mm-hmm. What if I tried? What if like continuing the conversation? Because the conversation doesn't stop. Right. You know, when your voice is telling you that oh you're too this or you too that or you can't do that. Well, why did the conversation stop? Did you just say okay and just sat down? Right. Well, you don't have to say okay. Keep talking. Right. Keep talking until that conversation makes sense for you makes sense for your journey, makes sense for the thing that you're trying to do. 
and like, okay, like I hear why I was telling myself I didn't want to because I'm actually nervous and I'm a little tired and I didn't eat today and I don't feel like getting up. And that conversation can be more affirming than just like somebody <laughs> your your voice telling yourself, no, right. don't you can't do it and the end. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I agree with everything the professionals like Likewise. Now, the one thing I do, I don't do my mama voice. I do my voice. Like, if it be like, you a fat bitch, I be like, no, you're a beautiful bitch. Like, that's how I switch it up to make myself feel good about myself. Because I be negative self-talking too. And so that's just what's something that I've used as to where I flip it. And then eventually you just become more positive. I would agree. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's just constant redirection like you said training your mindset to like feed yourself as much positive stuff as you're allowing some negative things to come in so i mm. often do that because i struggle with negative self-talk so i agree with both you ladies all right that sounds good you're so silly. <laughs> okay let's move on to the next one okay so dear girls who heal i am from chicago and i'm struggling with my non-monogamy as a black woman i am attracted to both men and women but fi- Finding men has been very difficult. I am new to the world of polyamory. I have been in monogamous relationships all of my life. I am finding it hard to find male partners who do not get jealous when I start to seek other male partners. Why am I attracting misogynistic partners? How do I, as a woman, vet male partners against this? Any advice is welcome. Sincerely, G. I know the polyamorous community is small and niche depending on where you at now you in chicago now so they have them Um, (laughs) so i say find your community because Mm -hmm. it can be very tough to find people to be a part of something that they may not even heard of or Mm -hmm. completely understand like some people just like label it as glorified cheating or something like that. Like mm-hmm. people don't have like you're not they're not an active part of the community and they don't really know what it is. It can be very tough to teach somebody to to do non-monogamy, especially mm-hmm. the right way. Like they'll be open to it. Like, oh, you talk to somebody else, bit like I do too. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, like, <laughs> so yeah, I say. Lean into the community, find them. Yeah. Um, because it's better to be a part of something with somebody that actually has experience mm-hmm. than to like teach somebody something about something that you are not as privy to in any anyway. Right. Like you're new to the situation as well. So your bandwidth of how you can spread the knowledge and understanding of what this is is very short. Yeah. So I would say seek out experienced folks. Um, have patience with the journey um, because it will pay off when you actually find somebody that's a decent match and it feels comfortable, right. feels safe, and you don't have to try as hard because they know what they're doing too. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't have anything to add. Listen to the professional. <laughs> Ashley? I was going to say the okay. same <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> okay. All right. We have our last advice letter. Dear Girls Who Heal, I've been struggling with setting boundaries in my relationship, and it's starting to take a toll on my emotional well-being. I often find myself saying yes to things I don't want to do or allowing others to overstep my boundaries. I'm ready to change this pattern and establish healthy boundaries. I would greatly appreciate your advice on how to set boundaries effectively and communicate them with clarity and assertiveness. How can I overcome the fear of disappointing others or being seen as selfish when setting boundaries? 
Are there any strategies or techniques you can suggest to help me navigate this process? Brandy. First things first, I say seek therapy. Because <laughs> this is not an overnight thing. Mm-hmm. Um, having porous boundaries is something that is pretty much a learned behavior. Like it's something that you have um, adopted as a child on a, like maybe your childhood, you probably had a different, your upbringing may have led you in a space where you weren't allowed to have strong boundaries Mm -hmm. with your parents or with your siblings. Mm -hmm. You know, some folks who grew up with multiple siblings couldn't have their own room or own space or they always had to share. Mm -hmm. And it's like, even if you didn't want to share, you had to. And that just led up to like constantly having to say yes to your siblings, even if you don't want to. And that changes and graduates into relationships and friendships and things like that. So um, the way your boundaries are built definitely um start very young and and they also can change especially if you get older and you experience different relationships but it's 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 deep mm-hmm. yeah. and i i would definitely say being able to have a professional down by your side to kind of dig a little deeper to understand like the root of how did your boundaries become so porous and thinking about like when boundaries even start to become crossed or what made you feel scared or mm. afraid to implement boundaries and stand firm in them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say just starting off right now, just thinking about how boundaries benefit you and the people around you. So boundaries aren't only about you. They're mm-hmm. about how you can maintain relationships with other people. Like if, if this, if I allow you to disrespect me, then it, it makes me resent you. It yeah. makes me feel guarded around you. I can't be myself around you because you are crossing boundaries and I am not comfortable implementing them with you. And now your relationship with that person is now changed mostly mm-hmm. because they crossed the boundary that you couldn't tell them. Mm-hmm. But now they are unaware of this whole ordeal that they crossed the boundary because you never told them. And now they are maybe sad or upset that you no longer are friends and they don't really know why then they don't understand why you couldn't tell them that your boundaries mm-hmm. so it literally starts Man. with you and that was just very insightful <laughs> yes your boundaries protect you and everybody around right. you it protects your relationships and it actually can bring you closer it yeah. allows people to know the code to you it right, right. allows people to know that there is um there's rules here. Yeah. And I know that I can give you a hug, but only sideways. Right, right. <laughs> like I, I know that I can say certain <laughs> things to you right. and it wouldn't trigger mm-hmm. you. And I know I can have deep conversations with you, but not about this. Like mm-hmm. it, it can go so many different ways, yeah. but yes, starting just with figuring out how do you want your people around you to treat you? How do you mm-hmm. want people around you to see you? And build your boundaries from there. Build it from a criteria of how you want to be treated and how you want to treat other people and go about building them there. I loved all of that. What the professional said. Okay. <laughs> I, I loved it. <laughs> Seriously. Perfect. Okay. So that wraps up today's episode. But before we wrap up, we want to. Let any small businesses know if you would like to advertise with our incredible community. You can email us at girlswhohealpodcast at gmail.com. We love your support. And we don't forget to like, share, subscribe to Girls Who Heal. 
before we wrap everything up, we want to thank you for coming. Thank you on. so much. Yes, we appreciate you. Where can the people find you? You can find me on Instagram at Locked in Therapy. That's L O C D. Say it loud. L O C D underscore letter N as a Nancy underscore Therapy. Beautiful. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Uh, no, we follow our Instagram at Girls Who Heal Podcast. And our personal page is at Healing with Nisha mm-hmm. and underscore Elevating Me. Now, we appreciate you joining us on this healing journey. We appreciate you, Neil, once again. We, we can't thank you enough, girl. Thanks I'm going to make me an appointment. <laughs> um, and um, peace. Bye-bye. <laughs>